In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, make us worthy to pray thankfully. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. We forgive those who trespass against us. It is not temptation, but blessing you. Grace you, so Lord, you the power and glory. I'm taking a detour from John, 7, uh, John 13 through 17, the farewell discourse. Um, because I, I'm winding down here and, and Vancouver Fair go back, and those chapters are very theologically loaded. Um, and so I didn't want to cater it. I didn't want to, I want to give it its due. Um, so I thought this might be a good time to, um, to step out um, for a little bit to just talk about stuff. Because um, that's what this next part is, but I, I'm going to zoom in on our, our suffering, our human suffering. Um, under the context of the suffering servant, suffering servant concept, I'll read the passage in a moment, um, is Christ, right? It's, it's from the book of Isaiah. Um, but I think meditate on and to think about from, um, and then I just want to meditate uh, on the difference between our suffering and the Lord's suffering. Um, suffering obviously is life-giving. Um, our, our suffering can be, um, but a lot of the time our suffering is not. So that's why I wanted to spend just time talking about that. So I'm going to read a few passages to kind of frame the conversation uh, and go from there. So the first is from the Gospel of Mark, then it'll be from Luke, and then, um, and then we'll get into the... Uh, the suffering part. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, God, Amen. And began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. I'm reading from Mark 8 right now. And I'm about to switch. So, um, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not on the side of God, but of men. And he called to him the multitude of the disciples and said to them, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. In the same vein, from Luke 9, 57-62, as they were going along the road, a man said to him, I will go, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But he said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So the reason I'm framing from those two is because um, if we're called to be disciples, which we are, right? And the Gospel of John spends a lot of time dealing with the disciples. Then there is a calling to suffering, right? There's a calling to following the path of, of the Lord. And that's why I'm just saying that. The Lord's suffering matters not only because of what it did for us, but because it's also what we're going to go through. And so the root of our Christianity, the root of service, if it's a real service, 
um, is suffering. Um, not because we're masochists um, and not because we're like, oh, sign me up, somebody shoot me, but that a person who believes in something inevitably is going to suffer when there's something that they want that doesn't match the thing they believe in, right? That can be a social issue. It can be a religion issue. It can be almost any issue, right? If a person wants to get jacked, they will suffer the gym and diet. Right. If a person wants to be an Olympian, they'll suffer um, the training. If a person wants to be a physician, they'll suffer the medical training and the MCATs and all the things that lead up to getting in. So regardless of, of which thing it is, there's going to be some kind of suffering. It's just how you view the suffering or the purpose of the suffering or the meaning of the suffering will change depending on whether you believe in your goal or not. If you don't believe in your goal, it just becomes pointless. Right. And then so it, it, it won't be likely that you'll be willing to suffer. And so if we're called to be in the image and likeness of our God, then let's see what what our God did. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Framing this because coming after this week is the passion, essentially. Right. It is going to be his farewells leading into um, the. The, his trial and his crucifixion and then his resurrection. So I'll read from Isaiah um, a few passages that I'm reading, not just to frame suffering, but because when we get back to John 13 through 17, um, that you can connect these with what's happening um, because Christ is fulfilling these in this section of the gospel that we get back to. First from Isaiah 42, and then it'll be from 50, and then uh, from 53. So Isaiah 42, verse 1 through 4. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Right? The same words we heard when the Lord is baptized. I put my spirit upon him, which we saw in Theophany. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not fail or be discouraged um, till he has established justice on the earth, and the islands wait for his law. The Lord God, from Isaiah 54 through 6, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with the word him that is weary. Morning by morning he wakens, he wakens my ear, to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, which some of this we see in, in, in Holy Week with him, right? Um, but also throughout the Gospel of John, as you've seen, where he keeps on saying, my work is to do the Lord's will, right? My food is to do the Lord's will itself. And then finally from uh, chapter 53, verse 1 through 12, who has believed what we have heard, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or comeliness that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow, yet we esteemed him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole, and with his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has put him, he has put him to grief when he makes himself an offering for sin. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the fruit of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion of the great, and he shall divide the spoil of the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So we'll get more into those when we go through John 13 through 17, 13 through 19, actually, um, where that came forth literally, right? These, these prophecies. And I'm not going to dwell too much right now that a lot of what's said about the Lord here, we still do today. A lot of us can look at a picture of Christ crucified and not care, right? Like where we can, we can still be like, yeah, 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 Jesus, blah, 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 and have that kind of blase um, attitude, um, which is not much different from what's being described um, in here, where we can just say it in passing as though it doesn't matter. But like I said, that's not going to be the focus today. Um as much as um, to, to compare our, our kind of suffering with, with the Lord's. John in chapter 16, we're going to read the Lord saying, these things I've spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So why do we suffer? Right, And that's why I wanted to, to talk about today. Um, because there's different types and different causes. And I think sometimes we feel really sorry for ourselves, which is normal. Um, but we'll go through a bunch of different reasons to then focus on what might be helpful. The first suffering I wanna talk about is, is suffering because of your own mistakes or your human passions, right? And I'm not saying that to be Debbie Downer, Right. But I think that this is the kind of suffering that nobody likes to acknowledge anymore. Right. Even though we know it, we don't like to own up to ourselves being the source of suffering. Right. We would rather point out why someone else is so dumb or so wrong or so vicious or, or insert negative here. And because of them, I am suffering. Right. When often the cause of suffering is our, our own self right? These are sins, and nobody likes to talk about sin anymore because no one likes righteousness that much anymore. But it's a very simple concept, right? If I don't study for an exam, it is my own fault that I didn't do well on the exam, right? No one did that to me, right? It's not because I have an awful teacher who gives exams, right? It's because I didn't, I didn't study, right? And I'm not saying, again, to, to shame anybody, but to say that we don't always recognize that our behaviors bring about results that cause us to suffer. I'm not just talking about, okay, I said a bad word or, okay, 
like I, I, I broke my fast or I, I cussed. I'm not just talking about those, right? But what if you have a loose tongue? What if you talk like crazy and you gossip and now people don't feel safe around you to talk to you? And so now you feel isolated. And so you're suffering because you feel isolated, but the reason why you're isolated is because people don't want to be around you because of what you do, right? What if you lie a lot or, you, or, or you, you're verbally abusive to people, right? A loose tongue can be why somebody doesn't want to even go near the 10-foot pole, right? And so then you feel hurt and upset like you don't have community, right? When part of the reason why you don't have community is because of of you, right? Again, there's no shaming here. There's no judging. We're saying that we need to own up, right? Instead of reacting to how we feel by saying what's wrong with the world, it's not a bad idea to start with saying, well, is there something wrong with what I'm doing? If you're arrogant, people aren't going to want to share with you, right? Um, if you are self-centered, right? If all of your conversation and your will and and your thought and your energy goes into yourself. You might not realize that people don't want to be anywhere near you because they're like, yeah, I'm going to go there and all he's going to talk about is himself again, right? Or whenever I try and talk about my issue, he somehow brings it back to himself, right? And so suddenly you're not a source of comfort, right? You're a source of irritation, right? And so people don't want to have anything to do with you. And so we have to be aware that we do it. If I lie all the time, I can't be angry if my parents don't trust me. them right so i can't be like well if only they would just let me it's like well there's a reason why they're not right then i'm not saying there's never an outward fault but i'm saying start with the question of what's me this kind of suffering is not the suffering of discipleship right the suffering servant that we read about wasn't suffering because of his behavior or his ego or because of his his life for just being who he was the truth right that was the, the sole cause um, of, of his suffering. Um, and there's a suffering that comes from our sins when we get addicted to sin, right? If I'm addicted, I'll just go there to sexual sins, right? That can affect my concentration. If I'm watching porn 24-7, that, that's a scientific fact. Okay, so if I am constantly stimulating that, my addiction to it, again, I'm not talking about somebody being bad for being addicted. My point is saying what these things do. If my concentration is lower and my attention span is lower and my ability to, to show emotion and affection is lower, I will suffer as a result of it. Right? I will suffer as a result of it. So it might not be the suffering that I, I care about or that I'm worried about, but I am suffering because of it. So it's, it's one kind of suffering that I think we need um, to pay attention to. Um, again, this kind of suffering is our own causing, but it's not the end of the world, right? It's not like, oh, woe is me now. I, I have no future because I mess up. But I'm just saying that if I can recognize this, then I can work on them because that might be the cause of my recovery, right? Of being like, oh, the issue was just me and it's done. Like it's, it's, like it's over and there's no big deal. Um, Another cause of suffering can be because people in the temple, as we've talked about throughout the Gospel of John, people in the church, right, people within the community, hate the truth, 
right? That's been an ongoing theme in the Gospel of John, right? When Jesus cast out demons, when the Lord cast out demons, they told him that he was Satan, right? They told him that it can't be, this can't be God, right? Like there's, there's no way, he's not fitting our profile of what God should be. And they couldn't accept that it was God's authority, right? The man born blind that we did a few weeks back, right? The people in the, in the temple went crazy and they right away put the Lord on trial, right? There's an, a trial on the spot of being like, what is going on here? Um, and when, they, when he'd answer them, they couldn't reply. And that still wasn't enough. Right. Like they, they, they wasn't like, oh, wow. Yeah, that was a good answer. Like, move on, deal with it. Instead, it was it was let's um, let's check out. Um, today, sometimes um, you might feel the suffering when you stand for something that might be not wrong, but you get attacked for it. Right, and this because this has become a, a much more common phenomenon, right? Where you're saying something that's true and you're getting attacked. Um, you correct a fellow servant in a teaching, and then it ends up putting you on trial. It's just is this person that they are. Um, that kind of suffering that we've seen in the Gospels definitely still happens today, okay? And so sometimes our suffering is the result of others. Like I'll, I'll acknowledge that, right? But even in a scenario that you find yourself like this, you should still ask if I am the cause. Be true in what you're saying and might be put on trial for what you're saying, but you might be a really terrible person for how you're saying Right, because if I'm if I'm not teaching the truth and love, right? If I'm coming in um, offensive or aggravating or loud or obnoxious or condescending, right, or or insubordinate or disrespectful, then it'll be harder for people to see that I'm saying something true because I'm delivering it in the wrong way, right? But yes, that source of suffering can be from the people that you are um, around. Um, and it can be from within your own family, it can be from your own friend circles, not just from the temple, right? It can be that you might say something that is true and your family freaks out or your friends freak out or whoever it is freaks out because they can't handle it. Um, so again, that kind of suffering, if it's for the truth, not, not much you can do about it. I mean, if the solution is going to be to not say the truth, that's not a solution, right? If dialogue works, great. But I'm not so much trying to talk about solutions today, but saying that that's a different type. And sometimes we suffer because people outside the temple also hate the truth, right? When the Lord walked through Golgotha, when he walked through the streets of Jerusalem, when he walked there, it wasn't just Jews that were mocking him, right? There were Gentiles too, right? And so... Everybody was looking at him in his position and being like, how can this guy be anything, right? They cast lots on his garments, they scourged him, they nailed him, they pierced him, right? Um, and this is like, this is what the whole suffering servant from Isaiah that reading is about. This today is the mockery that you might receive from 
the outside world, right? And sometimes worse than mockery, if you remain true to your identity as a son or daughter of God, right? This can be your stance on sexuality, of your relationships, your control over your language, your persistence in a spiritual way. Um, it's not uncommon to get mocked for not getting laid, right? Or what's wrong with them, right? There's a kid in, uh, in my home diocese in, in, in LA who is a newcomer from, from Egypt and his teacher demanded, because he said he believed in God, that he write an extra paper that no one in the class had to write to justify his belief in God, right? And his parents as newcomers had no idea if that's allowed or okay, right, or not. But this is, and it's not everybody's um, uh, experience. It's not everyone's experience to have that. Um, but this is a kind of suffering that I, I think a lot of us walk away from church for because a lot of us aren't ready to handle that, right? And so this is the kind of Christian today, I think that is the kind that prefaces everything they say with, don't worry, I'm not that kind of Christian, right? When to worry about it means you don't believe it's true, right? Like it's that simple, right? Like if, if imagine if somebody is in healthcare and says, don't worry, I'm not the kind of doctor that thinks smoking is unhealthy. It's, it's, it's nonsensical, right? It's one thing to say, don't worry, I don't look down on you for what you're doing. Another thing to pretend that I think that what you're doing is good, right? And so today we're not drawing those lines very clearly in general, right? Today to say, I disagree with you has somehow become equated with, I think you're bad, which is not the same thing at all, right? Like if, if, if I, as a, as a pharmacist in a previous life, thought that any patient who smokes is evil, there's something wrong with me as a healthcare practitioner. But there's also something wrong with me as a healthcare practitioner if I think smoking is healthy. It means I completely stand against what health is objectively, right? And so this outside suffering, I think is a big part of the culture today. Um, and again, I'm not looking as much at the solutions right now, as much as to say what allows a person to withstand the truth, the suffering is if they're in the truth, right? How do you think somebody is able to get through 40 years in prison for a crime that they didn't commit, right? I, I'm really into true crimes. So I listen to too many podcasts, right? But so often when, when, when they're interviewing these people who after decades got out, right? After getting exonerated, when they gave up all hope, they'd ask them, what kept you sane? And so many of them, the answer is that I knew that I was innocent. It was the only thing that got them through was their certainty of truth. Right. It's what lets them go through that, through rejection, through mockery, through being condemned in the press from having family, friends, everybody turn against them because the court found you guilty. You must be guilty. Right. That's what everybody assumes usually. Right. And so this is one of the harder parts um, of suffering. And sometimes we suffer because our own family rejects us. And we saw this in the Gospel of John. Right? We saw this in the beginning of John 7, 
right? When the Lord said that he's going, when they asked the Lord, are you going to the feast? It says it's his family that ask him. And they say it sarcastically, be like, hey, why don't you go uh, show yourself over to them? They should see what you're like. And it explicitly says they did not say this because they believed him, but because they didn't, right? So he was being rejected by his own, his own flesh and blood, his cousins, his relatives. Um, his kinsmen actually at another point preaching in his own city in the famous saying we have a prophet is not accepted in his own home. We're so mad at what Christ was saying that they actually literally wanted to throw him off a cliff. Right? It wasn't just like we're we're annoyed at you, Jesus. Right? It was like, no, I'm gonna kill Jesus. Right? They're 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 humiliated by him. this is his own family. And sometimes our families hate what we're doing, or they might be sarcastic about our seriousness with faith. Um, sometimes they will outright attack it and attempt to prevent someone from, from serving. Um, you may say something or suggest something and, and you'll get that sarcastic, like Bismillah Salib, right? In the name of the cross, right? Oh, you become so religious, Yami. Oh, wow, right? And they start being sarcastic, right? About, about what you're doing. Oh, why you fast now? Oh, pray for me, right? And then suddenly you're being belittled, right? For, for something good that you might be doing. Right. And so there is that kind of suffering that um, that a person can can go through. And then there's a suffering of, 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 of physical suffering. Right. Where a person might be somebody who's diseased and is in pain a lot. Right. Somebody that has um, an autoimmune disease, especially when I look at people with rheumatoid arthritis. Right. Or people with lupus. Right. Um, people with MS. Right, that there's people who suffer physically. Um, that is another form of suffering. It's not always our fault. Often it's not, right? Um, but I think, again, because we're comparing to the suffering of Christ, I do think we sometimes forget that the Lord suffered physically too, right? Not only from hunger and thirst on his own, right? But also in what we see in Passion Week. Right, that we don't talk about for most of the year, but it's really ugly, right? The whipping, the scourging, the beating, right? Shoving thorns into somebody's head, right? Today, forgive me, I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but when somebody abuses a kitten, and I'm not obviously okay with abusing kittens, the whole internet will be in an uproar, right? We're like, oh, wow, that guy doesn't deserve to live. And, and look at what we did. Well, look at what we did to human beings, right? Look what we, we did to the Lord um, himself. And then there's a suffering from spiritual exercise, right? And this is a suffering that's not without its fruit, okay? In the same way that if you suffer to do a workout at the gym, right, to get um, jacked or to get back in shape or, or whatever, the same is true with spiritual exercise. Sometimes you might feel like the labor of serving the Lord sucks, Right, whether it's purity, whether it's fasting, length of liturgy, right, whether it's social ostracization, that's fine, right? You're not a bad person because you're not enjoying that, right? A person who's going to the gym doesn't necessarily enjoy the treadmill, 
they're suffering the treadmill because of what it does for them health-wise, but they don't have to pretend that they're madly in love with the treadmill, right? They don't need to lie about that because there's no absolute truth about liking treadmills. There's an absolute truth about health, right? And so that's the part that I think sometimes when we suffer, we try and run away from, and other times we feel guilty about, right? Let's say somebody started to eat healthy, and I, I overuse this analogy, but let's say somebody starts to eat healthy because they want to get fit. That doesn't mean that they hate fast food. It just means that they're trying not to choose fast food, right? There's a big difference between the two. Because sometimes when I'm doing the right thing, I know in my heart of hearts that I still like and want the wrong thing. All I'm saying is that's okay right? Just don't do the wrong thing, right? There's nothing wrong with admitting, I would rather sleep around. That's, that's what our culture does. It's not surprising that most people would. That's what they're schooled in, right? It's not surprising that I don't like to fast when I can order Uber Eats on demand at any moment and get a lot of good food, right? That's not surprising. And so my wanting what's good doesn't mean that I right away don't like what's bad. It may happen that as you get more and more healthy, you actually don't like what's not healthy because when you try it, you feel sick. That may happen. All I'm saying is that if it doesn't, it didn't mean that you're a worse person, right? It doesn't, it doesn't mean something about the nature of your, of, your, of your being. And then the last kind of suffering is because the devil is outright attacking, right? This one used to be given more space, and I think in the West we give it less space we like almost annihilated his existence which is great for him um but we read about this that it says that the devil stirred up people he entered the heart of judas right he aided in the very plotting of the death of, of our lord the devil is not less active today right and the issue with that kind of suffering to me is because most people don't recognize his work right i've i've mentioned before that first exorcism that i ever saw um, but I'm going to highlight a part of it because I, I, I was possessed with then the devil was speaking from within her. Yeah, the devil himself was not even her, her voice. I don't know. I don't. I, it was it was it was not the woman is what I know. Um, is that when 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 Abuna was was commanding him to leave um, this person? The devil at one point started laughing hysterically and mocking and saying, leave and do what, right? And he kept on repeating everything he said, like, leave and do what, leave and, leave and do what, leave and he loves her. Nobody loves her. I did that with like pride. I did that, right? Her husband doesn't love her anymore. I made her husband not love her anymore. I made her friends not love her. No one loves her, right? Abuna's response was great when he like he said the lord of hosts does the lord of hosts loves her but the reason why i'm highlighting that part is to say and i and i thought about this even at the time if i met that lady right and most people had no idea she was possessed if i met that lady i'd have just assumed nobody likes her because she sucks right like there's something wrong with her there's a reason why nobody likes her because she sucks Right. Like that would have been my assumption. Right. I wouldn't have thought, oh, the devil is doing something. But it does matter because this woman was suffering greatly. 
right, by devices that were not her own, right? So sometimes the devil's outright attacking, and sometimes the devil is also manipulating all of us, not sometimes, always, right, whenever there's opportunity, using every single one of our weaknesses against one another and to stoke one another, right? If I'm dying for that smoke and he sees it because he sees it, right, he's not like, oh, yeah, let's see how he does, maybe once, right? But he'll be like, oh, they're interested. Great. Half my work is done. I don't even need to pitch it, right? Bring in some dude beside him that does and just be like, hey, do you want to like, dude, I was just thinking about one, right? And boom, you got it, right? He'll make sure that you have the, the, the right thing happening, right? That to, to do it. Because the devil is limited in his power, right? It'll be its own talk about spiritual warfare, but it was limited in his power. But the devil is the absolute expert salesman. He's got the perfect pitch for every kind of client, right? And once you start dialoguing, it's game over because he will sell you way better than you could out answer him, right? So he'll, he'll have every kind of answer. What's your concern? It's like like the salesperson at the door. Like number, rule number one is close the door, right? Because if you let them sell it to you, right? They know even in marketing, right? Like if they've answered your email or they started negotiating, you've got a good chance for the sale, right? But those of us who are like not interested, hang up, it's done right? But the devil does does this, and that can often be the cause of our suffering, and we not know. I'm not just talking about possession, right? But I'm talking also about the devil setting up the circumstances that make me hate everything so that I suffer. He might try and isolate me from church, right? By making sure that my it's my church crew that treats me like garbage, so that I can feel justified by saying, these are Christians, why would I be with them? right? Or this is the priest that I was supposed to talk to. Huh. I heard he told everybody that person since, whether it's true or not, right? It'll be, I have a concern about this. And then somebody, you'll make sure somebody says what you don't want to hear, right? And so there is an active element of this warfare um, that happens. So, Suffering obviously sucks in the sense that most of us would rather not, right? But in none of these was the source of wrong suffering God. It was never God being like, I want to break his leg because I want to, right? There's always a cause for it. And the root cause is always going against truth. If God is, is, is the cause of evil, forgive me for even like blasphemously suggesting it, is to say it's only because he's the truth, right? In the sense that by standing for what he is, a person's forced to choose or not choose. And that goes back to this whole theme of the Gospel of John that we've been talking about, is why he keeps saying, I am, I is, I just am who I am, right? You can reject it, you can take it, you can, you can believe, you cannot, but I will remain always who I am. Um, but we could benefit from suffering if we use it to purify ourselves from what we're doing wrong, right? And so I'm saying we just have to not have this negative view about wrong, of, of, of assuming we're filthy, disgusting, bad people because we do wrong. If we can just own that we do do wrong, right? Then I can look at my suffering as a chance to fix that. Instead of saying, this is uh, Abba Dorotheos from the fifth century says, instead of saying, why did you say this to me? Why did you do this to me when somebody wrongs me? Dorotheos says, we should be able to reap great profit from things of this kind 
Um, we bring just the opposite in ourselves, being unaware that everything happens by the foreknowledge of God for the benefit of each of us. I can say, you know what, regardless of what this person's doing, regardless of why it happens, what can I benefit from this, right? If I change my perspective, I become less concerned with the injustice I feel has happened to me, right? And instead, I move on, right? How many people have you met that are so upset about something that happened to them in their lives and have never moved on. And ask yourself how much you enjoy or don't enjoy being in their presence, right? Let's say you didn't get into um, a program. Let's say you didn't get a job. Let's say you're like someone cussed you out. The whole world moves on and you're in your room sulking, right? I'm not belittling it. I'm not saying it's not hurtful. I'm just simply saying that if I choose to make the suffering a cause of I will not rest till I get justice, then you are likely never going to rest because you're not gonna find justice, right? There is clearly not much justice in this world. I'm not Debbie Downer, I'm just saying, it's not likely you're gonna get it, right? And if you get it, you might not even be satisfied with it. Right. Like, and so we can respond to suffering by saying, how can I deal with it? Another aspect of how I can deal with it is by saying, I have to do a little bit of work. And some people are scared of the work because, oh, that looks like great suffering. Right. That there's, there's just way too much um, to do. Right. But as we saw in um, uh, the Desert Fathers, um, it's one of my favorite stories. And again, I overuse it, but just because it's so us, like it so captures us, right? That there's a new novice, right? Who was sent out to, to work and he was given like a field and his Abba said, go clean out that field, take out the weeds or whatever. We're going to use it so we can, we can, we can do some work there and plant. And the, the new monk goes out, the novice goes out and he just sees that it's enormous work. Right, every few centimeters is a weed. And he looks and he's like, how am I supposed to do all of this? Three days later, his Abba comes in to check on him and he finds him sleeping on the ground beside the field. And the guy hasn't done a thing, right? And I was like, what did you do? He's like, nothing. And like, why? Right, and he goes, look how much work there is. Right. And he's just like, yeah, but if you had like just taken like a tiny block at a time, you, you'd actually be done by now. Right. But it, instead you went to sleep. Right. And I, and I, I'm that guy 100%. Right. Where, where many of us are, we're like, we think that to, for example, to be a good Christian, I suddenly have to float and change my mannerisms and, bow my head with reverence at everybody that I see and no more smiling and no more music and no more fun and no more conversation, right? And that I'm suddenly a buzzkill, right? And so I'm like, I will do that when I'm 90, right? Before I'm ready to die, I will take on the Lord, right? And I can be taped at church wearing my shot, okay? But that's not what is entailed, right? All that's asked is to not do wrong, and there may be work involved in the not doing wrong, right? But again, if we do little by little, right, then we get somewhere.
right? But if instead I think I have to do it all at once, I, of course I will be overwhelmed and I will just go to bed, right? It's, 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 it's escapism at its, at its best. Um, the disposition that I can't have towards suffering, the attitude that I can't have towards suffering is that I won't suffer. That's the only disposition that I can't. The great Abba Anthony, the best of all the saints, right? He actually said the greatest might of a man, right? The greatest strength of a man is to expect temptation until the end, right? It says bring your faults before yourself and to expect temptation to the end, right? That's a person who's ready for life. Right. Because if you go in being, if, imagine if you thought there was no work. Right. Th then you're going to continually be assaulted because there will be work. Right. If you if you thought, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to ace every exam. There's no such thing as not doing well on an exam. Right. Well, then sucks to be you when it does. Right. If you thought you didn't ever need to study, if you thought you didn't ever have to, to, to be nice to someone for them to like you back, whatever the work is. Right. And so he's saying, if you want to be grounded, expect it. Right, because then you'll always be in your element because you always know it's there. Right, it's it's a it's a practical way to do it. But if you want to give meaning to your suffering, recognize that it's romantic. Like I I I, I really personally grasped that aspect of suffering being romantic, um, even though I'm a monastic, because when you hold back from something it's a really deep way of showing your love for whoever it is you're holding back because of, right? The reason why we used to, as a society, the church still does believe you shouldn't have an open marriage, right? But even secular society, even non-religious society, right, still embraced monogamy for a long time, is this sense of exclusivity. In my saying yes to one person, I am saying no to the rest of the world. That's very intimate, right? It's extremely intimate. It's saying of all the other 7 billion people that exist now, whatever our population is yet, there's only one that matters. There's only one that I'm saying yes to and I'm saying no to everyone else, right? Imagine if somebody was starving throughout the day and their wife or their husband is at work, their spouse is at work. And they say, and they come home from, from work first and they're famished. And they say, I'm going to hold off on eating until my spouse gets home so that we eat together. Suddenly this suffering of hunger has a deep romantic meaning because the spouse is saying to the other spouse, I was starving, but I couldn't eat without you. Right. And if that was on a sitcom, it'd be ah, and all the sound effects and the, and the corny music. Right. But it's a real thing. Right. It is a real thing. Right. That if we have to make self-denial become romantic, you'll start seeing your choices as loyalty, not as rules. Right. Imagine if you're. Okay. And the person you're dating says, I don't feel comfortable when you text all these other guys or girls. And maybe you don't even agree, right? Maybe you're like, there's nothing and I've done this all my life and blah, blah, blah. My choosing to honor my partner is saying, I choose 
I love you more. Because I'm loyal to you, I'm choosing you. It's a different way of looking at the same scenario. I could alternatively be like, huh, dude put a billion rules on me. I'm not allowed to text. I'm not allowed to do that. Like I can view it like that and then something I'm miserable, right? But if I, if I view it as this person cares about me, I care about them. I trust that there's something in this that matters to this person, my relationship. I'll choose my person. Suddenly I'm not going to be worked up. I won't feel like I'm suffering relentlessly, right? That, that I, I'm not allowed, quote unquote, to, to text. Um, second is that it brings out virtue. It perfects you. Because evil is not a thing. There's no such thing as evil. It has no substance, right? Evil is just the absence of good. But there's no thing called evil, right? So when I remove evil, I become more good. But also when I do wrong, I find out where I'm not healthy, right? And so I can even use my wrong to get healthy, right? Like no one's, mistaken. even the Lord, look at the Lord, like in the flesh when he came, right? When he caught the woman, like the woman that caught an adultery is brought to him. What did he say to her? Just don't do it again. That was their pep talk. Right? Like, he's like, I'm not judging you. Don't do it again. Peace. See you later. That was it. Right? The Samaritan woman. Yeah, I kind of am not married. And he's like, good for you. You're right. You're not married. You're living with some dude. End of story. Done. Didn't bring it up again. Right? There wasn't a long discussion about how filthy she is and how messed up she is and how wrong she is. He's like, she already knows. Right? It's exposed. Great. Now you know. You already know. You're good. Okay. It's just stop. Right. And it was done. Right. So when I do wrong, I can use that to be like, oh, I just need to be healthier. Right. It's like if I, for example, I'm walking up the stairs and find that I'm out of breath, that is a signifying that I'm out of shape. <laughs> right. And so then I become aware of it. And now I can choose whether I want to do something or it. So it was a suffering that indicated to me that there's a remedy needed. Um, it can also be a means to attaining the kingdom if you do it in the right spirit. Right, we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. Um, I don't know if you guys know the story of Peter the slave. Have you guys heard of Peter the slave? Peter Leibniz. So Peter um, was a really arrogant, rich dude who had no tolerance for anybody, and he was filthy rich. And one time, some beggar was coming at him, uh, asking for anything. And Peter got annoyed, right? He got so annoyed. And the guy was relentlessly asking. And so Peter pulled out a coin and chucked it at the guy, right? Literally to just be like, leave me alone, right? And it wasn't out of the goodness of his heart. So that night, he had a dream. And the Holy Theotokos, St. Mary, uh, took him up to heaven and showed him a bunch of people's heavenly paths um, that were very nice. And he thought, because he's rich, like, where's mine? Like, mine's going to be really souped up. Um, and so she took him to this area and showed him this tiny little shanty, right? And she's like, that's yours. And he's like, that's mine? And she's like, yeah, that's because of the coin you gave the beggar. 
And so when he came to, when he awoke, he sold everything he had. First, he started giving all the money to the poor. Then he sold everything to give more money to the poor. And then when he didn't have enough money or property to give to the poor, he sold himself into slavery. That's why he's named Peter the slave and used the money that he had for selling himself to give the poor. Right. And so his suffering saved him. His suffering of poverty saved him. Right. Um, One of the Desert Fathers spoke about Lazarus, um, the poor man and Lazarus, the famous parable of Christ, right? Where one of the Desert Fathers says, has anyone noticed that the, the parable doesn't say anything good that Lazarus ever did in his life? He's like, it doesn't say anything good that he did. The only thing the guy did was just not murmur. That's all. And he was saved. Right. And so sometimes by just simply working on something that becomes our our ticket, if you will, um, to, to, to purify us, to change. Um, if I use my suffering to get more healthy. You end up knowing God and I and I don't mean that in a light cliche way. Right? The Lord says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The less sin we do, the more pure we are. I'm not talking about sexual purity, I'm talking about all purity. right? And I can see more clearly. When I see more clearly, I appreciate something more. I know something more. And when I can see God more, my whole life changes because suddenly God's not theory to me. God is reality to me. Right. And these are the famous people that we talk about, all these saints. They made it because of that. I'm going to rush through. I'm sorry that I'm taking so long. Um, and that's why one of the most famous Desert Fathers stories was about St. John the Short. That St. John the Short prayed to God that he lose all suffering, all trials, all tribulations. And he went back to his Abba and said, Abba. I prayed for no suffering and God granted it to me. And as Abba goes, you better go pray for it to come back or you're not in a good place, right? Because he's like, it's, it's these that save you. It's these that change you, right? Um, Alessa Carr was onto something when she said, scars to your beautiful, right? Scars to your beautiful, right? In the sense that today you can look at someone's scar and be like, what's the story? right? How did this form you, right? And so that's why it's just like, if you want to live in a bubble, go for it, but then you have no immunity, you have no strength, you have no power, you have nothing, right? But the, the, the battle is the, is the beauty itself. And finally, it, it humanizes you in the same way that the Lord's sufferings, because he was really human, are what make us relate to him. Right, we we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, as it says in Hebrews, right? But one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sinning, because the Lord went through what we did. That's why I can go to the Lord, right? I know I've told this story a billion times, and I'm sorry. I know I'm repetitive. It's just that some of these things had really um, impacted me in their moments, right? I I I was in my first year of priesthood. And I had two really crummy weeks, like really crummy weeks, a bunch of deaths of young people, some priests I didn't know, everyone's emotional, drama, politics, issues, like everything was just dark, 
Um, and I was supposed to have a confession. Um, it was a Thursday and I was supposed to have a confession on the Friday. Um, and so I messaged my father confession that before and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not talking tomorrow. Um, and so I woke up and I was a little bit more like Faye as more alert. Um, and I saw a plan for being like, no problem. I was like, okay, we'll talk, but I won't confess. Um, and so when I started talking to him, I was doing the whole like fake religious macho thing. Um, I was just saying, yeah, yeah, I know everything is good. The Lord is good. Everyone's good. Like, let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya. I'm going to be fine. I'm just a little down. Right. And Abuna said to me, hey, um, why are you trying to escape your emotions? Which was not what I was expecting. Right. And he was just like, people just died. Of course, you're going to not be in a good mood. And funerals are draining, right? And he goes, so today, you're not in Christos Anesti mood. Today, you're with Jesus in Golgotha. Sorry, you're with Jesus in Gethsemane. Today, you're in Gethsemane. Find Jesus in your emotion. Don't try and escape your emotion, right? But only because the Lord actually went through stuff Right? And what did the Lord say in Gethsemane? Lord, he says, he says to his father, like, Father, I would rather the option where I don't have to do this. He says it point blank. Right? I would rather that option. I know that I have to. It's necessary. But I don't like it. I'm saying that's what humanizes us. Right? For me as somebody, like I've got my random disease. Right? It humanized me. Right. So when people come up to somebody when they have a disease, like, yeah, right. God loves you. That's why he gave you MS. No, that's not true. And that's really offensive to hear sometimes. Right. The person has good intentions. Right. But when a person has gone through the experience of having disease, like, I don't want to hear that. Right. And like, you know, cancer is the heavenly disease. No, it's not. Okay, it can be used by the heavens. I can get to the heavens through it. But God, the heaven is not pro-cancer, right? Heaven is not pro-disease, right? But it humanizes us when we go through it. Um, I'll, I'll end early. I'm going to skip some of this because I'm, I'm sorry for keeping you guys for so long. But um, if we suffer with Christ, then we are also glorified with Christ. And what the Lord said to us is, for any of you who just endures, just endures, he says. He doesn't even say, you fought valiantly, you were amazing, you got your MVP. He says, if you just endure, I give you to sit with me on my throne as a ruler, right? That's, that's a, big, a big deal, right? Suffering, to sum it up, exists for one reason only, freedom. Because we all have freedom, there's always the potential for suffering. Because it is how we use choice that affects our suffering. How we use choice and how others use choice. Right? That's why in all the kinds of suffering we talked about, some of them are from my choosing and some of them are from others. Right, But all suffering is a result of choosing. And so all I can do is to try and make my choosing right, to make my loving right, because that's what love means, to choose. Right, And if we die with him, then we certainly rise with him.
And the biggest, most meaningful offering to God is suffering because he said, anybody who's mine, who follows in my way that we started with, takes up their cross, not because I like crosses, but because a cross was forced on me. So symbolically, just like I was compelled to suffer, you will do to you. But if it ended with crucifixion, our life sucks. As St. Paul says, if there's no resurrection of all human most miserable, like, because in our religion really sucks. It's literally just saying suffer and there's no hope, so just take it, right? And so even St. Paul admits that. But if I take the root of Golgotha, also take the root of resurrection, and which will bring me into that state of, of Christos and uh, to him be glory now and always to age of all ages. Amen. Any uh, questions, meditations? He was asking if I can expound a little on that last part. What I'm saying is that the Lord said the way to follow me and the way to be united with me, the way to be mine is to be me. Right, and to be him is to suffer because that's what happened to him. That's why he said, "Take the cross." But he also said, "By not choosing this life, by not choosing this world, if you choose this willingly, right?" He said, "Then I am is the way, right?" And so it is only because the Lord rose that any of it had meaning, right? And so I, if I participate in his death, also participate in his resurrection. Right, and that's actually how I become a son or a daughter. But the section you're saying freedom and choice. Oh, the freedom and choice is saying that every single thing that I go through is a result of choice, right? Whether mine or someone else's. If someone chose to punch me in the face, my suffering is a result of that person's choice. If I choose the first example of, of like my own wrong being the source of suffering if i chose to be a liar my choice caused me like to suffer right but i'm saying all of the causes of suffering are always the result of of wrong choice right and that's why the way to navigate life is to always ask what is the truth is there an absolute truth about this and if so that's what i choose right because again this a synonym for choosing is loving Right. And so it becomes, do I always love truth most? Do I always choose truth the most? Because most of all of our struggles, any spiritual struggle any of you have, any kind, not even just the spiritual ones, any struggle you have is always going to come back to a battle of two things you want to choose. And which one did you end up choosing? The one you end up choosing is the one you loved to be formal in the language, like an, an old language, not modern cultural language. This is why, like, why God said, Jacob, have I loved an Esau? Have I hated? He's saying, I chose Jacob. It doesn't mean I dislike Esau, right? So everything that I love is the consequence. Everybody's loving or hating is the reason for every kind of issue in the world. And on the same token, all the good choosing, all the good loving also brings great joy and comfort. Right? Like, like it's not just the negative. If I have no freedom, I cannot love. If I have no freedom, I am incapable of loving because I'm incapable of choosing. 
I can never select something if I can't choose it. That's why God's respect to freedom is incredible, way, way more than we are, right? Like when, like if, if someone from our community says they're doubting the existence of God, we're like, <gasps> right? Like, oh, no, no, protect them, which is, which is good. It's a sign of love. I'm not criticizing. Whereas God is the one who built us with even that ability. Like, yeah, if you need, you can reject me. It doesn't change the truth that I'm your dad, right? It doesn't change the truth that I exist, but you can reject me. Right. That's how much something the truth is the most powerful thing in the world. Right. And a person who loves truth receives from that power. Because nothing can nothing can subdue them. Uh, oh, I didn't see that there was some uh, uh, questions here. Uh, do, uh, there's a comment here. It's like drug addicts. They don't all of a sudden hate drugs or alcohol or whatever it may be. It's usually the opposite. Yes. Right. My recovery from wrong doesn't mean I automatically hate it. That's that's I agree 100 um, uh, percent. I like uh, <laughs> I won't read that one because it's embarrassing. Um, thank you. How does one suffer with uh, uh, with Christ? You suffer with Christ whenever your suffering is for the sake of what's right. Suffering for the sake of what's wrong has nothing to do with Christ. Right? So to suffer with Christ, that's, that's why Christians, like homies, homies, like come back to the gospel. Right? Like I, I, I really, I wonder how many Christians if asked, what is the gospel? know the answer. I really wonder today if anybody knows the answer to that, right? And how many of us use the Sermon on the Mount as our frame of reference? You want to suffer with Christ? Because Christ said, blessed are you when persecuted for righteousness' sake, specifically for what is right, right? That's when there's blessing. That's when Christ says, I'm with you. I'm on your side, right? And we'll do justice my way. Right. Whereas Matthew five through seven tells us how to choose, tells us exactly how to choose. And it is not easy. Christianity is not a religion for wusses. Right. Because it's saying somebody sues you, let them have it. Someone demands you to walk an extra mile, walk to. Right. Somebody insults you, wish them well. Right. Like when it says, pray for those, bless those who curse you. Right. He's saying, this person wishes every kind of woe on you. And you're like, I wish you the best, right? And he's like, and mean it, right? Imagine if all the society chose that way. Actually, nobody would be angry. Nobody would be yelling, right? Because the gospel is concerned about choosing my neighbor. If I want to be with Christ, this is what Christ did. Christ chose other. Christ laid down himself. He died. He gave himself up completely. So if I make my living, my being about others, if my suffering is for the sake of that, right, I'm with Christ, right? I was saying that the meaning of my suffering is, 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 is truth. But again, think of how much more peaceful society would be if we were all trying to actually accommodate each other for the sake of truth. We, like, 
it's like one of the desert father stories where they spent like an hour fighting over giving each other stuff it was like no no you take it you need it no 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 but you need it no 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 but you need it right and then they're like in the end nobody had it right or the the story of the grapes where it made its way around like the whole entire monastery because nobody wanted to take for themselves first right if we actually lived like that confession would be like non-existent which would be great right because no one would be doing anything wrong no one would be angry it would be nothing right but that's in my view how we um suffer with uh with christ any other uh go for an answer I don't know what's going on here. Uh, okay, go for it again. Sorry. I think you actually answered yourself by what you're suggesting with the last part of it. It's about whether it's for the truth or not. Because what matters the most is that I'm doing what's right, that I'm choosing what's right, right? I'm only gonna suffer to some extent when I, I don't prefer emotionally what's right versus what's wrong. But the meaning is still there, right? Like if my mom spent 10 hours slaving away from me and she did it happily, right? I'm not gonna be like, oh, that doesn't count. Like you weren't miserable, right? Like, like it very much counts because mom could have done a billion other things in 10 hours than that, right? And so I think that there's a different kind of beauty when our will is opposed right but actually i'm gonna hypothesize here i think the perfection of love <clears throat> is when my will is the same as truth right that's why the love in the trinity is not a self-denying love because they don't need to deny because they have a common will right like if there was a conflict we'd have a problem like in god right and so whereas the perfection of their love is that their will is is unified right and so that's why actually it's still a deep love it's just suffering is is a specific aspect of love that arises when what i am choosing is not aligned with what i actually prefer but if i am not There might still be beauty in it, right? But it's but it's not the same because all that's happened is now I like this and I want this. So the real question mark becomes option between doing a more right thing and that. What do I do, right? And that's why most people's real 
test, if you will, is when their comfort zone gets rocked, right? Then it becomes, what am I doing this for? Um, was it for truth or was it for my prestige or my love or, or whatever, whatever it was? Good question though. Sick buzz. All right. Uh, oh wait, there's one more here. Trial and tribulations, it's difficult to view things in any way other than prospectively. To what degree should we be stoic and endure things and be peaceful in our relationship with God during these times? This is a great question. Um, you talked about how your father confession told you to face your emotions, not hide them. But at what point does this come to play? So no, I, in, in my view, and this is not dogma, in my view, I don't think we're ever asked to pretend, right? Like, the, I, like I, I don't have to pretend that I like my suffering, right? It might be better to not talk about it all the time. Mess, I'm just going to get out there. Um, or to not, not complain. But even if I do, that's okay. I might not be at the ability yet to perfectly handle um, my suffering. I brought up disease. I, I've complained like crazy about my disease. I wish I could eat this. I wish I could eat that. I wish I wasn't swelling. Like I've complained, like I'm not perfect in, in, in it. So I think what we would need to be careful about when we're not being stoic is whether I'm offending my brother, right? Whether my behavior and how I'm taking it is becoming a stumbling block to others. That's one thing to be concerned about. And two is, I think, to just be careful of the other extreme of being so self-absorbed in my suffering, right? That all I do is idolize me and forget that the point of suffering is what, right? So it's, it's going to be a blend of all of those, right? And that's where I think the personal guidance comes in, right? To find out, like to be x-rayed personally of what's going on within me in this situation. But on a general level, I think I would look at those as factors. That's a great uh, question. I'm still just like mulling over this because there's a lot to think about. But like in, you were saying, can I see that suffering always comes when there's a part of my will that's not perfectly aligned with God's will. But then how would you think about the passion of Christ where his will is perfectly aligned with Father's but still there's clearly some suffering. Even if there was, even if he was accept, accepting it joyfully, Mm -hmm. I think it begs a definition of, uh, I think it comes with the, it begs that we define suffering, right? Because I might be being inconsistent because I'm talking about the suffering where of saying, I don't like this, right? And so emotionally, right? If I'm so excited about exercise, I might not feel the quote unquote emotional suffering of post-workout, right? So I'm talking maybe more on the emotional level here, right? When I was talking to what Nancy was saying, right? On the sense of like, I might not like it, right? But even if I do like it, right? It's not the suffering in terms of emotions that made it meaningful. It's the choice that made it meaningful. I think most of us are somewhere in between. I mean, like, you take working out, for example. Most of us don't like it. Mm -hmm. You know, you might like see some good in it. Or mom that's cooking, like she's she's what she's feeling something that she prefer not to have, but she's willingly doing it, so she's happy about it. So she's somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. But like even like Christ, I'm sure um, there was definitely a struggle there because of the prayer that's in the Eucharist. But then at the same time, he's 
taking it full on than we would this world. Uh, right. Because I'm not saying that you don't take it on with your will. I think I'm not seeing the dilemma yet, right? To me, what I'm saying is I have choice. I have love. To which do I direct my love, okay? And I'm saying that the emotions that surround that don't matter as much as the choosing. And so I'm saying, and then the interpretation of those emotions might indicate different things about me, right? Worthy of, of poking and, and, and biopsying and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that the most important thing is actually the choice, right? Like, that's why, for example, like, related but not the same, when the Desert Fathers talk about, Dorotheus talks about, um, the different levels of, of Christianity as an individual Christian, where he says, okay, I might be a Christian who's in slave status. Slave meaning, I'm doing what's right because I'm afraid of punishment, right? Then he's like, a step up is... A hired laborer i do what i'm asked because i get paid right the christian who does it because they want to go to heaven right top level is sonship i do it for love but part of the point of that story that he gives is saying that all three are saved so just because i was afraid doesn't mean i have no entrance he's saying how much better would it be that i'm level three which is what nancy's talking about that i i might come to be like oh wow i love this right but i'm saying that if i don't no problem right it doesn't mean i'm cast out it doesn't mean he loves me less it doesn't change that i'm a son it changes how i approach but the but the choice is it would be the big thing right or or like the Arabic expression, tabraha, right? Like your, the, the labor is rest. Right. Right. And I'm saying, is it for the sake of truth? Right. And that's what I'm saying. It's, yeah, no, it has to be. It has to be for truth. Right. And actually, that's why the highest level of Christian spirituality in most of the Desert Fathers is to get rid of my will. Yeah. Right. That's the highest. Right. And so it's actually a really beautiful drama, in my view, in the whole story of humanity of saying, here's my gift to you. It's freedom. And then the highest level of loving back is to say, you take it. Right. And so my struggle is to get back to there. So I think we in our lives oscillate where we have to go through a phase of 
teenage rebellion, like just to use it as an example of like, I discovered my autonomy and I want to use it, right? Only to be weathered with time and experience to be like, no, 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 like, what do you want? Right. But to, to get there is, is, is the journey. Right. And then the emotions will matter less. I think to me, emotions are very meaningless in and of themselves, even though I'm emotional, um, emotional emotions are helpful. They're useful. I'm just saying we give them too much like space, right. In the sense that emotions are, are really just decent markers of me, of my state. If I'm irritated, it means there's something I, I, I preferred more that I didn't like. Right. If I'm happy, it means that I'm really preferring this, liking this. And I might like it for a good reason or a bad reason. I might be happy because that guy got owned, which means that's indicating that I'm not a very nice person. Right. But if I'm happy because they excel, this thing, emotions just become signals. Right. Like they're, they're useful for that. Right. But, but choosing the truth for the sake of truth is, is perfection. I was just going to say that I don't know if the suffering goes away if you go more, but I think there's a nuance here that the suffering is transformed mm -hmm. into something. It doesn't, it doesn't remove the suffering. The suffering is still there. The wounds of Christ are still there. When he's on the cross and he's risen in glory, the wounds are there for Thomas to see. Those are his joy and his glory. Mm -hmm. It's just that when we are suffering with thanksgiving versus with complaining, that suffering becomes something much more glorious. It's still there, but it's changing something or transfigured, yeah. so to speak. And that becomes a joy because it, it says, your sorrow uh, will be transformed into joy, like he says in John, in that same chapter. Yeah. Referencing. And I think that's the nuance versus suffering that's taken on mur with murmuring and grumbling. It's suffering that isn't so much chosen anymore. It's, you might be doing it, you might be, you know, stumbling through it, kind of half willingly and, and you're, you're still trying to get through it and you're like ah, i did this but i'll do it anyways and I, mm -hmm. at that point your will is, is you're trying to align your will with god but once it's fully there that suffering becomes a source of just like the cross this becomes it looks like this kind of deathly sentence this death sentence on god it's 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 macabre and, and gross to look at in a worldly perspective but when you take a look at it again from Christ's perspective, when he takes it on willingly and voluntarily, it becomes the joy of the whole world, as you say. Right. So, yeah. It's like childbirth. We wouldn't say somebody had a fake childbirth because they screamed during labor, right? And be like, he didn't accept it gladly, right? Like, it would be like, no, she, she suffered, right? And what, what gave meaning to the labor is the baby, mm -hmm. right? Like, like, like what you're talking about, that, the, the transformative part. But I'm just saying, I think that there's going to be grades of ability to tolerate suffering and that that's okay. I was trying to get at where like, I mean, Elijah whined like no tomorrow, right? Like we don't, we don't like to say that about the prophets, but he did. Even after God answered him, he was still like, oh, I wish I was dead, right? Like he was, he was being dramatic, right? Jeremiah. Right. Like, and these are prophets of God, Jonah. Right. He's just like, oh, yeah. And then you're going to do this. Like, like, whereas like we, 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 we list them among the heavenly. Right. Is that something like God will do justice about where I'm coming from and why. Right. But the, but the most important thing is that I, I, I aim for truth, that I struggle for truth.
Go for it. Right. This is why we're lucky that God knows everything. Right? Like, I mean, we can, we can philosophize over the meaning of someone's act, but God actually knows, right? So he knows what every individual act means. So who the rest of people are like, oh yeah, whatever. But in that person's heart, it's not whatever. God knows that, right? And that's one of the reasons why like we should never judge it's one of the worst kinds of sins right because the only one who knows really knows is god right even for a criminal right even for a criminal right where like we might be like oh wow what a disgusting horrible person where god might be the one being like yeah you see it that way but i also know what they went through he's not saying oh good job criminal like i like what you did but it being like i know really everything that affected you so yeah I, I i agree right that that god god it's synergy god works with whatever we offer and as long as we're offering there's grace not because he's demanding offering but i'm saying that as long as i'm willing to cooperate god is never gonna not but, but sometimes we have we're taking it for the wrong reason like, oh, i'm gonna do this so i get praise from people Maybe, not maybe like, like, yes, he said that, but I mean, maybe in the sense of I might be doing some of the wrong reason, but I could still benefit mm -hmm. if I eat healthy food because I want to look good on the beach, not because I'm worried about my health, I will still have benefited something from eating healthy. But that's not, at that point, you're not so much thinking because you're still putting in the work towards that. But I see what you're saying because the intention could be wrong. Yeah. But in, in terms of even like, like the Pharisees, for example, the Pharisees were doing the religious work of the day, but they had a hypocritical intention on what they were doing. And because of that, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Because they had a bigger issue that we've actually kind of talked about. Because the issue for them was that righteousness was about acts. Right, and that's why the synoptics have a completely different goal than the Gospel of John. Right, the synoptics are changing you from realizing that righteousness is not about I did this, I did this, I did this. Righteousness starts from inside, mm -hmm. and get and takes effect outside. Exactly. Right, and so that was the issue with him, and that's what I'm saying. There's going to be grades of purity of intention, right? But I'm not so concerned with that because I'm saying wherever you are on the gradient. Choose truth. Because if you're choosing truth over and over, you're going to move up that gradient. So even if you started off by choosing 
truth because it was convenient, right? That's still better than choosing lie. It's just impure choosing the truth, right? And so that's like we 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 scale up, right? And that's why we I use the whole like is it because I'm afraid of hell? Is it because of this? Is it because of this? Right? But it can also be because I just want to fit in, right? But if that's my weakness, God looks at that too. So I'm like wherever we are, as long as I'm trying to align with truth, when I'm trying to love truth, I will be changed. Like how much change, how much I'm willing to, to put in. God's grace is always coming, right? But we'll, we'll, he said, seek, you'll find. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, and Lord, make us your faith, all thanksgiving. Our Father, who in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our trespasses as we forgive those trespass against us. Lead us not temptation. Let's move on to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. We salute with you all. Amen.